1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. Got a great guest this week, actually this week and next, Joe Buck, who is the number one play-by-play guy for Fox... He has called numerous world series, numerous super bowls, all-star games, golf tournaments. He is a seven-time Emmy winner. He was hired by Fox in 1994. He was only 25 years old at the time. He has a great book called Lucky Bastard, My Life, My Dad, and the Things I'm Not Allowed to Say on TV. Well, he'll be saying some of those things here on the podcast. Also, he is going to be a guest host On Jeopardy, August 9th through the 13th. This is a two parter. Part one, we talk a lot about Jeopardy, his dad, the great Jack Buck, and also baseball. That's part one with Joe Buck this week on Hollywood and Levine. I want to start out by talking about Jeopardy because uh, you are the guest host on August 9th through the 13th. How did that come about?
1: Uh, It was something that came up last year right after Alex passed away. I met with uh, their producer, Mike Richards, and I really haven't talked about this publicly. So this is a huge scoop for you with with me (laughs) with with Jeopardy. Uh, And it was something they had interest in me. I had interest in... in, uh, in getting on the list, and uh, I, I met with Mike for a couple of hours. I would say it was probably the end of November, maybe early December, and we talked about you know how the show uh, was likely to change going forward, and and that they were putting this list together. And I said I'd just like to be on the list. I'd like to see if. If it's something that I'm good at, I don't know. Um, I think I check a lot of the boxes for you and that I can listen to somebody talking to me in my ear and I can uh, continue to talk uh, and make sense uh, out of my own mouth uh, while I'm listening to somebody else and trying to process that information which and,
0: by the way is a very difficult skill
1: uh yeah it's it's weird it's you have two tracks going on and when I, and I've had people as i digress but i've had people from the music industry the acting world uh really even even people that that kind of get up and read a lot of teleprompter sit in a broadcast booth with me when i'm doing tv and listen in the headset and listen to somebody counting me backward going to break or as i'm trying to you know hit their marks and and they walk out of there like how in the hell do you <laughs> listen to somebody while you're talking but uh, so so I, I said you know I don't know that people, even though I've done a bunch of World Series and Super Bowls, I don't know that people know all that I can do. So, you know, if you have interest in me, I have a lot of interest in just doing it for a week and seeing how it goes, and uh, I've since obviously done it. You know, we're, we're a couple of weeks away from it airing, and, and it went well, and and they were really happy with it. The The crew was all kind of talking to me off to the side like, you know, this is like you've been doing this your whole life kind of stuff. So it, it felt comfortable. I enjoyed it. I'll see how it looks when it hits the air. I just can't have no point of reference to know if it went well or not. I think it did, and then we'll just see how it looks and sounds once uh, August 9th rolls around. I'm I'm as interested as, as theoretically anybody else is.
0: Now, were they talking in your ear during the game?
1: A little bit. Um, you know, because it's COVID, and they were really strict at the time, um, the studio audience was made up of the contestants that were about to challenge the winner. Right. So there's a, right. like a, a, a section of people way smarter than I am. And then there's a section of Mike Richards, a producer. The uh, The director was back in the in the booth, but a lot of the writers were out there. So I think if it were normal times, there would have been more talking in my ear, but it was to the point now, because the, the audience was cleared out for the most part, that if there was any question I had as to whether an answer was going to be accepted or not, I could look down into the front row and they're giving me thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, and and then the only talking that was in my ear was when we were about to take a break and go to a commercial. And, and kind of, you know, after this response go to break or, you know, whatever it was, but it it was minimal. And, and uh, you know, if if I was bogging down, Mike would say, speed it up. If I was going too fast, he'd say, slow it down. It was, it was that kind of stuff, but, but nothing really intense with regard to them talking to me while I was doing it. How'd you prepare for it? Well, I, I read Alex's book, which he wrote Uh, I guess just prior to him passing away because it, it really, it ends just about at the time that, uh, you know, he covers everything that's in there that really was his life from beginning to end. I read that book. I watched a ton of Jeopardy, which I watched anyway, but when you, it's different to watch it when you're just a fan or you're sitting around and it's on, compared to when you know you're about to go host and, and you, so now you're looking for, okay, how do they get in from commercial break? How do they segment the show? What, what are the words that they use? Um, and, and what words are, are kind of uh, verboten from, uh, you know, like these are not answers. These are responses. These are not bets. These are wagers. It was kind of like doing the U S open for the USGA. That's not a tee box. That's a teen ground. That's not a, Driving range is a practice tee. It's not a sand trap. It's a bunker. It's not a pin. It's a flagstick. So you have to, you know, eliminate a lot of words that kind of come naturally, um, and 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 just play by their rules and, and understand how these each block works. Uh, and and I, I felt really comfortable by the time I, I went in and rehearsed for a day, and then did it uh, for a full day, which was five shows worth.
0: And you would go in in the morning, like at 6, 7 o'clock, and see all of the clues. I guess they yes. call them clues.
1: Correct. Well done, can You passed.
0: <laughs> and there have to be a lot of them that are tough to pronounce. You, you have to figure out uh, or talk to somebody as to how to pronounce all of these things because those are tough.
1: You, yeah, even then when you're under the gun... What you you know you can go okay yeah I, I'll I'll just spell that out phonetically on what I have in front of me but even you know then it gets in your head and you're trying to go fast and and you have that little seed of doubt and then you're you're tripped and you can't you can't pick yourself back up so what they have always done and what Mike said is if you screw up a clue just get to the end of it. And we'll pick it up at the end, which they did for 15 guest hosts and, and did for Alex. You know, if you make a mistake, you go back and pick it up. It's a tape show. But the the cool part or the interesting part to me was he said that the contestants are not listening to you at all. When when they call for a category and that comes up full screen on the board, they're just reading it off the board. You, you could go blah, 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 blah. And then they would ring in with the answer. So it was kind of like, just fumble your way all the way to the end of the sentence, and then we'll pick it up at the end. So by the time it hits the air, it's it's been, you know, pretty much made airtight.
0: And I have to tell you, because I know some of the writers and researchers, and I've been to a number of Jeopardy! tapings, and Alex Trebek would have to go back and do three or four clues every round. Right. Yeah. yeah
1: and, and that's about... <laughs> I. I That's kind of how I graded myself because I'm pretty hard on myself. So it was like, you know, by the end when we did, we did five shows, obviously, by the end uh, I got through enough to where it was like, okay, we're only picking up three. And I was like, Oh, that's a win. You know, the first show, the Monday show, I was picking up eight. And then by the time I got around to the end after day five, so to speak, was down to three or four. So I, 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 felt like I got better as the day went along.
0: Okay. So let me put you on the spot. What happens if they call and say, you're the guy, we want you.
1: I think that would be interesting. I I don't know personally. And, and I I've said this privately and I'm happy to say it publicly. I, I think they go with a known quantity. I think they go with Either Ken Jennings or Mike Richards himself, who's uh, was did a good job, not- he did a great job. Yeah, he's smart, good looking guy. He's hosted things before, he knows the game inside and out. He just basically did, if you think about it, he taught 15 people who come from all different you know, whether it's Aaron Rodgers, a current NFL quarterback, or it's uh, Katie Couric, or it's Savannah Guthrie. He taught 15 people like Jeopardy for Dummies, how to host Jeopardy for Dummies. And and he basically wrote the handbook for it and made it really easy for everybody coming in. That's how well he knows it. So I, I would be stunned if if that conversation happened. If if it did, then I would have, I think, a lot to think about. Um, and I'm not dismissing it because I, I do think it would be an interesting change of pace in my life. But I also know that they rightly want the person who hosts the show to have that be their thing. And and I don't know, I would have to really think about it. I don't know if I'm willing to give up what I do currently to do that. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But I, I felt like saying, you know, when people asked me when I got out of it, I don't think the answers change. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that if and when that comes along, but I would be shocked if I have to deal with that.
0: Now, you're also in sports, I understand. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> yes. I, uh, I'm Jack Buck's son, and I, uh, I grew up around sports and uh, have been doing it for quite a while now.
0: You know, I loved your dad. Your dad was so nice to me when I was this young broadcaster for the San Diego Padres, and he's this Hall of Fame announcer for the Cardinals. He could not have been more gracious, more supportive. And, uh, you know, like I said, I I just love your dad. Really well, do.
1: Well, I, I, I think he probably saw you coming in as somebody that, was different in the best possible way. Um, considering your background, you know, you have a, a, an incredible sense of humor and a sharp wit, which I would say was the most underrated part of my dad. Um, mm-hmm. My dad was one of the quickest uh, comics that I saw. And, and I would compare him to anybody. I saw him do speech after you know after dinner, speech after after dinner, speech. Interact with people from presidents to, you know, a, a scout for the Seattle Mariners, and and he had such a joy of the the different people that he got to meet by through his job that uh, he just became a, a real uh, studier, if that's even a word, of the human condition. And so when he met you, uh, like I did, I'm sure I, I I guarantee you he was like okay. This guy's smart, he's funny, and it's different than the typical conversation I'm having with somebody that's, you know, in this press box area. So he enjoyed everybody, and and I'm glad to hear you. That's the best thing, Ken, about following my dad into this business is when people say, oh, you know, I worked with your dad at CBS back in the 80s. Or, oh, you know, I did, uh, I, I was with him back in Columbus, Ohio. Back, I never have to worry about what the next part of the sentence is like that son of a bitch owed me $5,000 when he died or, (laughs) you know, what a prick or what you know, it was, it's always, what a great guy that just loved being around people and was so nice to me. And so of all the benefits I got of following him into this business, that part of it, kind of the human interaction of of how he treated people gave me a leg up uh, with people that I then met in the network world And uh, I I reap those benefits as as much as I did learning, you know, theoretically how to broadcast a baseball game.
0: You know, my daughter Annie is a TV writer and uh, she is now, along with her partner Jonathan, uh, you know, taking meetings with network executives and people who I've worked with. And uh, every so often I'll get a text from my daughter. That says, Dad, thank you for not being an asshole. Right.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it's it's a great gift. And you've done that for your daughter. And, and I'm telling you, of all the things I got from my dad, um, second to the inclusion that I had in his life and going with him, you know, I was... My book is Lucky Bastard because I am exactly that. And and I came along at a time where he, you know, had six kids and he'd been through this huge life change of divorce and everything else. And I, I think when I became the right age, which was really early, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, I would go with him on road trips and I was on the team bus and on the team charter and shagging balls in the outfield and playing catch in front of the dugout before games and being in that broadcast booth. And all of that inclusion I got from him was was the number one gift he gave me, uh, and the number two was number two gift he gave me was just being a good guy that, that people liked, and and you know getting to follow him in was a was a, w- that road was made a lot easier because of that.
0: Yeah, I know for my daughter, and of course, people go well nepotism, nepotism. But what I think, you know, since she grew up on sets her whole life. Yeah. And she's part of a comedy family the way you're part of a broadcasting family. And I think the best thing that you get out of nepotism is that you are so well prepared when you get your opportunity.
1: I agree. And, you know, I I, I would be a hypocrite if um and, and and basically not I would not be truthful if if I said that, you know, if my dad was not Jack Buck and I and I wasn't interested in this business. Then I would not have been broadcasting in Louisville in 1989, which is and, where I met you. Right, exactly. Yeah. When 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 I was 19 or 20 years old. That that just that's that that's the part that's not going to happen if I'm not my dad's son. But then you know, I did enough. I was doing all the Redbird games, and I was setting up the equipment. I worked with a wonderful guy who could have been. He was everything I just said about my dad. He he could have been, you know, he his name's Jim Kelch. He's still a friend to this day. Got a text from him during the All-Star Game. We're buddies. Um, I owe him so much because when I came in, I was this nineteen year old kid. Uh, he had been working in double A Chattanooga and, and and really worked his way up. And now here I am starting on third base, so to speak. And he couldn't have been nicer to me. But you're right in that when you grow up around it, yeah. Doors are going to be open, but you're also... I was not intimidated to walk into a big league broadcast booth when I was doing the Cardinals at 21 years old because I grew up in that booth, and I knew what the mechanics were, and I wasn't in awe of the situation. I was still nervous and scared out of my mind, but being in the actual booth and being around the locker room, the clubhouse, and being on the field and talking to big league baseball players... That's what I'd done my whole life, and and so I was getting a master's class every night of the summer, and and just kind of live in my life, and then that all just seeped its way into my DNA, and and then I was ready to to kind of go do what I was doing at a very young age.
0: And speaking of being ready, you spent a number of years calling Cardinal games, calling a full season, and I contend. You really need that experience behind you when you're doing big games on national television because things are going to happen. And I spent three years in the minors, and I am so glad I did because I made a lot of mistakes on plays. And when I got to the majors and I saw those same plays, I instantly knew what to do. And knew how to handle it. And I just think back to last year's World Series and game four and that final play that John, I was, you just read play. my mind. I was <laughs>
1: just going to bring that up. So go ahead. Sorry. Yeah,
0: no, and you called that perfectly and confidently, where you've got players you know, diving back into third and the ball flying all over the field and runners going around. And you handled that just perfectly. You couldn't have done that uh, when you were doing your third game with the Louisville Redbirds.
1: You're so right. And, and you know, add another layer to that. There we were at the, at the you know, beginning of kind of the tail end. and And I know this is probably not even right to say, but We had gone from not being in the actual stadium all year to finally at least being in the booth and being in the ballpark. And there were 11,000 fans in Arlington. And I laid awake that night after calling the end of that game where Will Smith's trying to make a swipe tag. Uh, A Rosarena had fallen on his face coming around third. Will Smith doesn't know that, so he misses the ball as he's hurrying. He could have just, you know, stopped, walked over, and tagged him out, but he missed the ball trying to hurry. And I, I laid awake that night going, my God, if, that, if I was in a studio somewhere and just relying on what I saw on the monitor, I would have no idea what the hell happened because I'm watching it happen, and I can see out of the corner of my eye that, Rosa Reina went face first uh into the grass and then I can see on this side you know you, you needed that that width of vision and that you know that that scope to know all that was happening and then trying to put words to it I'm glad it went well but had I had I been doing that just in a studio off off a TV screen there's no way I I would have been able to put the right words to that. And I I would have had to clean it up after watching replays of it.
0: Yeah. Well, you just did the all-star game, which I personally think an all-star game would be very difficult to do because there's a million substitutions. The game doesn't really mean all that much, but you guys had fun being able to talk to players during the game and like talking to Freddie Freeman when he was actually at bat. That yeah. was pretty fun.
1: It is. I mean, it's taking. Not only is it taking viewers where they haven't been before, but it's taken me where I've never been before. And mm-hmm. you know, I think I, I was one of the two people or three people walking the planet that liked the whole this time it counts stuff. When after the tie in two thousand two, that they they put uh, a carrot at the end of the All Star Game because it made them actually consider. Uh, some sort of strategy and not just have everybody come in and wave and then leave. Uh, So now we're not in that mode anymore and we're back to basically an exhibition. And so good for baseball and good for the players association. And you have to get yeses from both to be able to do that stuff, to talk to these guys while they're playing. Um, I, yeah, it's the hardest game that I do all year because you could talk for two, in- I could have I talked for four innings about Otani, uh, but now, you know, there's three guys coming up in the first inning, and you want to tell their stories. You know, mm-hmm. here's Tatis Jr., and this guy's got a, a story a mile long already at 22, and here's Vlad Guerrero Jr., and you're just getting settled into the game, and you can't even talk about the brilliance of, of how great these guys are. And for every guy coming to the plate, there's a new shortstop, a new right fielder, a new center fielder. Add to that, they're wearing like these nondescript uh, uniforms. Awful. I, awful. I, I mean, unbelievable. And and I, so I'm watching from, from the best seat in the house, and I can't tell who's who. I mean, they're all – there's no distinct markings on any of these guys, except for, you know, whether it's if, – if a guy's 6'10", or if he's, you know, got dreadlocks, or if he's, you know, whoever it is, you're looking for some characteristic to go, okay, that's who that is. Because there's nine guys out there and, and they just, for whatever reason, I know they went to these new uniforms, but, but within those uniforms, the, the actual logo for the teams they represented were so small. I couldn't see them. So, you know, you're hoping that you're up to date with who just got into the game. And it just, it just made the whole thing uh, a lot more difficult.
0: If I can make a suggestion, never Mike, Liam Hendricks.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, Liam Hendricks is, in, uh, is from Perth and full of, uh, the, full Tasmanian of yeah, the Tasmanian Devil. The Tasmanian Devil and is cursing his ass off and and like i just did and i'm looking at smoltz when he's screaming at himself and smoltz's face turns white i'm like and then our producer i'm like hey this this isn't going out over the air is and it? he's like well no we're on a 7 second delay but little i i guess it did go out over the air yeah i which, did yeah and so i'm like how can that happen how can i mean if we're going to mic these guys then you have to be really on the trigger to be able to to tap out and, and if the guy says something that shouldn't be on network tv then you 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 hit the button and people don't hear it but i i was stunned when i and i nobody even really said anything to me i i just somebody my producer the next day i said hey did, did i heard that that the uh liam Hendricks <laughs> stuff got on the air he's like I haven't heard that. Let me check into it. This is like four o'clock the next <laughs> afternoon. And uh, he's like, yeah, it did. And, and we were both stunned. So I, needless to say, A, you're right. He, he probably won't be miked again. And B, uh, that that will never get out again. God, I hope not.
0: <laughs> well, when it happened the first time, I just figured, all right, well, they're going to cut his mic. All right. right. And, and he kept it we going was
1: saying to our audio guy, I'm like, just forget it. He can't hear me anyway. So right. just forget it. And, you know, a lot of these guys, they'll put the earpiece in, but there's a volume control on the earpiece, you know, the set that has the, the little pack that has the connection to the earpiece, as you know, and, and sometimes, you know, they, for, for good reason, you don't want somebody to put that in and the thing's on high and it blows their ear out. So they just put it way down. And it's loud out there, so he couldn't hear me. All right, so got it. He can't hear me, so let's forget it. And and there have been times in the past where somebody has said something that I can hear in my headset, and I've apologized for it, and then I'm told, well, nobody heard that at home because we're on a delay. So learning, having learned from those experiences, I didn't apologize for what he said, but it did get out. So I should have apologized for what he said, but I just assumed it was on delay.
0: Well, it was kind of a fun thing for those of us who stuck around to the end of the
1: game. (laughs) Right. Just consider it our little gift to you to to really hear what Liam Hendricks is saying to himself when he's not uh, throwing strikes.
0: There you go. Part one of my two-part interview with Joe Buck. Next week, we talk a lot about football. Also, uh, dealing with social media and what it is like that uh, the minute you say something on the air suddenly there are tweets and people are discussing it around the world. So that is next week. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you wish to get in touch with me, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am on Twitter, at Ken Levine, if you wish to follow me. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Come on back for part two next week with Joe Buck right here on
1: Hollywood and Levine.